welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I'm your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about looter shooters. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. Um, looter shooters are the topic of the day because I have been playing a lot of the newest looter shooter out of Bioware, which is Anthem. Uh, and Mango has been playing a ton of uh, Destiny, Destiny 2, 2 out of Bungie, f- of Mass Effect and Halo fame. It actually kind of is funny to me about kind of like the parallels of those studios and how they've kind of gone in different different directions. Uh, Destiny 2 is doing really good things for Mango. Um, Anthem is really scratching the itch for me and some of my friends. Um, and so... I think it is worth it to figure out a little bit what about these um, these games and these systems are so attractive in the modern era. Yeah, and, and on top of that, I'm going to say that I, I have dipped my toes into the Division 2 beta, which was this weekend. Um, I didn't play a ton of it, but I figured I'd check it out. Um, wasn't as enamored with it as I was with, uh, with Destiny, so I kept playing that because... Um, we're getting a new content drop for Destiny 2 on Tuesday, so, um, you know, just been running hard on that. But I think I think beyond kind of the, the looter shooter mechanics, I've also played the Borderlands games. Uh, have you, buddy? Uh, yeah, I've played uh, a little bit of Borderlands 1 and then a lot of Borderlands 2. Okay, um, so so uh, I'm actually kind of the opposite. I've played much more Borderlands 1 than 2, but I haven't played either of them in a while. Um, but, you know, they're kind of the, I would say, the first big looter shooter um in a way especially in kind of like the the model of the you know like a shooter diablo type game yeah um uh and then um something else i think is 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 interesting to talk about is like how these stack up against other i'm gonna call them mmo likes because i don't i'm not super comfortable calling these games mmos but they do a Approach that. So um, I do think that they are MMOs. They just don't necessarily have the RPG at the end of them. In the same way that, like, for instance, I would call M- a MOBA an MMO in uh, in a kind of very broad general sense. Yeah. I think it sort of fits in that kind of Hearthstone is an MMO CCG, right? Like something kind of along those yeah, lines. Yeah, I, I, I don't, hmm, I don't know how I feel about. So like. There's, like, a thing there where, like, the words it says on the tin isn't necessarily what the genre encapsulates in the same way that, like, yeah. MOBA as a multiplayer online battle arena means something specific even though those words are kind of generic. Um, you know, roguelike being, like, another genre that has, like, weird associations that get tied up in it. But it is I, – I think that they are – they are different from MMOs in the same way that you – typically wouldn't call Diablo 3 an MMO, even though it has a lot of the same kind of uh, systems in there that that maybe you could call it, depending on how you're stretching the definition. Um, um, I don't think that's super important. Um, Yeah, me neither. um, Just that, you know, there's a global community and you can be matchmade with any of them and... uh, play uh uh you know it's a multiplayer experience and it will be coming that way you will be enjoying it that way regardless of whether or not yeah and it's funny to think about this in hindsight through the lens of borderlands because in a certain sense borderlands has a lot in common with kind of both the rpg roots in that it has like a big skill tree and you know um, like stats and stuff like that, like crit strike and, and, and things like that. Um, and, 
also it is a you know like it's a gun game with gun feel um so in a certain sense you it it is the perfect encapsulation of that like er genre uh that has led to the modern iteration of the looter shooter yeah except without as much of the uh the 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 multiplayer and the uh, multiplayer ish elements to it right like playing the game was always always ever running through campaign type things rather than kind of individual activities and you yeah multiplayer wasn't as much of focus um but i you know i, I don't think it was that like in, in in both types of games it's not as necessary but it's it, it's interesting that, that that wasn't a component of kind of that uh or game it, it, it's funny because this is like a like third generation baby genre right because you've got like the mmo roots and you've got the looter shooter roots and looter shooters have like shooter roots and like uh looter roots right like uh like diablo roots and so yeah, like... diablo is kind of the is the only example i can think of of uh of like that sort of game um, I can't think of another example of something like that that, like, predates Diablo. I think Diablo's the granddaddy of them, but, like, you, yeah. you've gotten, like, you know, Path of Exile, Torchlight, um... That have come out yeah. after, like, it's since. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, Van Helsing, uh, Incredible Adventures of Van Helsing, and, uh, there's, there's another one that's basically, like, a Van, Van Helsing, like, the, the characters are a Van Helsing recall, if I can't remember exactly what the name of it is, I'll, uh, I can probably find it because i played a bunch of that when i when i felt it but like they, they all kind of come off the diablo model um and weirdly like weirdly come off the diablo model it's it's, it's uh it's actually kind of strange um so yeah and i kind of wonder a little bit how much that genealogy matters like to a certain extent i think you could describe mass effect in this like looter shooter vein even if it is a single player game right uh mass effect 3 had multiplayer um which i played a fuckload of and i almost sort of think that because of my earlier exposure to mass effect 3's multiplayer my ability to get into Anthem has been heightened, whereas I didn't play... Like, I like Halo, and I think Halo's a good game and everything like that, but I didn't play, like, a fuckload of Halo, um, either Halo 1, 2, or 3, because I, uh, I didn't have an Xbox. I had a PS2 um, when I was a kid. So... I don't have the same kind of raw gunplay roots that Destiny seems to ask of you um, as a player. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, it's it's interesting because, like i i definitely I definitely feel you uh, there. Um, I was never like super good at Halo. It was a game that my brother liked to play a lot and would kick my ass at it. Um, but. Um, I definitely think that I have an affinity for gunplay in that way, um, and so that that's that's the thing. If we want to jump into it here, like the 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 big difference, we've talked about this in our in our kind of back halves. But Anthem is is a much more ability driven game, and, and I, I believe the way you you put it, is it feels you it, it um, uh, makes it feel more like an RPG than a shooter to you. Is is, is that, is that mm -hmm. accurate? Um, yeah, well, so, and this is something that it inherits sort of from that Mass Effect framework, because Mass Effect had, you know, you have a couple of different abilities, and they have cooldowns, and so a lot of your gameplay in Mass Effect is built around 
um, your abilities first and your guns kind of second, because guns are sort of, like, universally useful, but, like, the abilities are sort of specifically useful, if that makes sense. And so most of the gameplay could kind of be, like, boiled down to, like, you use your abilities until they're on cooldown or unless they're not useful. Um, otherwise, you use guns. And that abilities first, guns second paradigm is the is like the big differentiator between that and destiny where i feel like destiny is you your guns are the core gameplay and they are and every once in a while you toss in an ability to do you know what i mean like you use you use your grenade or something kind of along those lines um but there isn't that like same focus if that makes sense and i think that that bears out also with like for instance the combo system right is mostly an abilities system inside of uh, and, and the combo system is also something that it inherits from mass effect where you could do tech combos or biotic combos um now you have uh the primer detonator relationship in anthem as well and so like that's the stuff that makes it feel a little bit more like RPG centric, and and it's th that's the stuff that kind of like works on a minute to minute kind of um, uh, like a second to second gameplay level. Whereas I feel like in Destiny, it is much more about how you shoot, can you shoot, does the shooting feel good, all of that stuff. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's about it's it's about how the the guns interact with each other. I also think I'm curious to get your. Um, perspective on this because a friend of the show monic has, has said that one of the reasons he, he didn't like his experience in the anthem beta is he just doesn't like third person games um and kind of having dipped my toes into the division beta which is another third person game which i think probably like is is described as having better gunplay than anthem does at least from what i've seen online mm -hmm. um but i still felt it was much worse than uh, Halo, I wonder if – not Halo, uh, Destiny. I wonder if the perspective is a really big component in how gunplay feels just kind of yeah, – So as my experience thing. is that that is the case um, because I also – for instance, I like Payday 2 a lot. That's kind of my go-to FPS. Um, and I think the, the gunplay in Payday 2 is pretty great. And I do think a lot of it is just like the way the perspective works inside of the game. I actually think it would be a mistake if – uh, Anthem was first person. Oh, absolutely. I think third person is is absolutely where it wants to be, especially with kind of the way that like models um, and sort of like aiming of the abilities interact. Like it would be very tough to play the Colossus first person because I feel because like of how the shield works. Nauseating with all the flying. Oh yeah, and then the flying. Yeah, that is that is absolutely true. Um, so I feel like, I feel like it needs to be third person, but I, but I totally kind of like feel where Monica is coming from. And in a certain sense, like, I feel like if they had made the game more gun focused, it would have been worse just because it is harder to execute on gunplay in a third person perspective versus a first person perspective. Like I've played plenty of shooters that are definitionally third person where even if the game is good, right, the, the gunplay almost universally feels worse because you are kind of like removed from it um my my kind of like go-to thoughts and examples being things like gears of war or spec ops the line is like another is like another good example of that yeah i i, I think a big part of what makes gun the gunplay and destiny and gunplay in general feel really meaty and good is kind of the animations around different guns and uh and kind of like the sound design and kind of how that all plays together and maybe like a little bit of screen shake 
actions and you just can't get that at the same volume when you're in third person right you can't see yeah. the recoil from your gun and the muzzle flash as well if you're pulled back uh you know uh, 30 feet behind your character um yeah and i think there is like there's some some stuff in it like for instance it feels good to you know it feels good to hover behind a scar enforcer the big flamethrower robot guys and just like unload with an auto cannon into its like fuel tannic canisters which are its critical hit location right like that feels good and i would i would say that that feels good in the same way that like shoot it you know like shooting um i'm trying to think of a of like a destiny example um, like shooting one of those lieutenant guys uh, in his in shooting his... an incinerator in the fuel tank. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah. yeah. It, it, it that is like the same kind of like core feeling, but I don't think Anthem is built on shooting your gun making you feel good in the same way that Destiny is. Anthem wants you to feel good when you use your flamethrower to prime. 10 dudes and then you jump in the air and melee to detonate the combo and the combo kills all of them in one giant hailstorm you know what i mean like that's that's where anthem wants you to feel awesome that's where anthem wants you to feel powerful um yeah which is which is not something that i think destiny does this is interesting because i think my this is thinking about it, i feel like abilities might even feel better in third person like ability play as as analog to gunplay might feel yeah. better in third person because you can see more of it and like i feel like the oh that makes sense more... like a field of view thing yeah right? and I, like, I think yeah. part of it too is that they're much more full body animations um but you wouldn't be able to see if you were in the first person view so it's less about like the manipulation the individual manipulations because i'm just thinking about like skyrim right like um you know some spells felt all right, like the the more kind of like evocative, like lightning bolt type spells, but a lot of them just felt kind of like I never, like I, I they never felt as satisfying. Um, and I think that might be another perspective thing where the abilities just feel better in the third person view. Yeah, you know, it's actually another really good example of this uh, that we've also talked about on the po- podcast is PUBG, right? Like we pretty universally swapped into first person mode rather than third person mode in PUBG. And I think I would say that in a in a game, it, it is like the perfect test example of this because it is a game where the guns are literally and definitionally the same and the gunplay feels better when we were in first person versus when we were in third person. Yeah. Like, how much would you agree with that statement? Um, I don't know how much I felt felt the gunplay. Like, I think I think part of it is that the like the gunplay wasn't the main reason we switched to first person. There were like overriding genre reasons for wanting to play in the first person mode which is um the game is more defensive in first in third person because you can peek corners and whatnot um um but i never really thought about what gunplay i don't don't think the gunplay in PUBG is particularly crisp or anything so i don't know how much i'd attach myself to that but I, i i see your point um definitely the little animations that they added later um, to each of the guns definitely were are appreciated more in the first person, right? I'm, like, I'm thinking of the reload animation on the revolver, relatively intricate, um, that you can't see in third person. So I'll definitely give you that. I also, there's an aspect of this too that like, Anthem is actually a f- pretty farly pulled back third person. You can, you know, you can zoom that camera at different levels. Um, and so I don't think you're... I don't think you're wrong. I just, I don't know. There's just other factors that I don't know how to factor them in. 
Yeah. Yeah, I also think Anthem wants you to keep a wider field of view in general just because of kind of like the layout of the um uh the layout of the kind of like arenas or where you are doing your fighting. Um a lot of Anthem is about trying to like cut off line of sight from you know like big giant groups of enemies because if you you know like if you get up in the air or something like that and you are exposed to every every enemy they are all going to shoot at you and kill you or something like that and so part of it is about kind of like you know dodging and juking behind uh behind cover not in like a like a you know, chest high walls cover, but like just enough cover to break line of sight so that you can deal with clumps of enemies at a time rather than as one giant specific uh, like unit, um, especially because of how some of the elite enemies work. Like a good example of this is the evade mechanics that are uh, that come from rocket troopers or the sniper, the scar snipers, right? Like you get punished in Anthem for being sort of like too exposed. And I think this is also true for Destiny. Uh, you get you get punished for being too exposed. And so having that big wide field of view to keep track of kind of the position of a uh, like a lot of little enemies um makes a lot of uh makes a lot of sense i also feel like there are more enemies in encounters uh especially because they're respawning at a pretty quick rate than uh was true when i was playing in destiny in destiny the enemies feel more robust and like they don't kind of go down as quickly um but there are fewer of them do you would you agree with that um hmm. it depends on like the hive have a lot of have a lot of like thralls but I think that I think it's interesting because I think you're mostly right. Um, I think that the enemies are de typically more substantial in Destiny, but the the bigger enemies are less more substantial. Like the typical bigger enemies are less more substantial than the bigger enemies in Anthem. If that makes sense, mm. right? Like there's a bigger yeah. difference between like the bottom mooks and the mid tier mooks. Um, in, in, in Anthem, like the, the like the big guys with the with the shields or whatever that have the the gas things in their back, they they feel meatier and bigger and bigger threats individually in Anthem um, than they do in Destiny. Yeah, um, that definitely is true. I think. Um, although I think part of this might be um, my impression of Anthem was some of the the bigger enemies felt a little bit more bullet spongy and less like in a negative way, right? Like it, it feels like it takes a little bit too long for them to go down which is something they tuned out of destiny one when they got when they, and they did bring it over to destiny two for all the faults that destiny two had on launch where it didn't bring a lot of the lessons over um it did manage to bring that tuning in and they feel like the big the media enemies feel like they take approximately the right number of hits to go down they don't feel too too obnoxious if that makes sense um, huh uh I, I kind of feel like it depends a little bit that, that was something that I did feel a lot, especially early in the game, but I guess as I leveled up and got more powerful, it became less true. I also think, like, as I w got more sort of, like, passively good at the game and teamwork-focused, it became easier to take these guys down. Um, so, like, for instance, with the Enforcers or whatever, who are the big guys with the flame tanks on their back, um, something that... It's hard to take those guys down one-on-one -on -one because they are facing you and they have 
have their shield up and it's hard to hit them in the critical spots. But if you and another person essentially tag team, um, it becomes a lot easier. You don't actually, in fact, like, so one of the cool things about the Enforcers is you don't have to do their whole health bar. All you have to do is a percentage of their health bar, um, which is represented by the fuel tank, which is essentially like if you shoot the fuel tank enough that it explodes, it kills the rest of the enemy. And I think you only need to do about maybe a quarter of or a third of his health. Um, so like if I'm sitting there and tanking his flamethrower and he's facing me and you are behind him and just unloading rounds or your, you know, like whatever it is, your abilities into a fuel tank, it's pretty easy and quick to take out the enforcers. Um, it's also one of those things where the, because the enforcers use armor, um, specific, kinds of damage will do more damage to them. They take 50% reduced gun damage, for instance, but 50% more acid damage. And I think 25% more fire damage or something like that. So, like, you can kind of, like, specialize yourself in a certain way. Um, another ex another version of this is the storms, which I think are called elementalists, right? Like, enemy storms have shields, um, and you need to pop their shields in order to stop them from flying and casting their abilities. Um, if you don't have something that can tear through those shields, and you don't uh, have, kind of, a, a density of damage that prevents the shields from regenerating, you can really run into some problems against those guys and they can feel bullet spongy. I think in general, the answer is these enemies require some more cooperation um, than uh, than can be soloed, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, make, that definitely makes sense. That definitely makes sense. And I would say that like in, in Destiny, there's less of that kind of like enemy-to-enemy -enemy action. Like the team works all kind of around different objectives um, rather than, like, facing off of any particular enemy, with the exception of, like, the big boss mechanics, um, which are relatively few and far between. Or, you know, they're, they're Yeah, I, I also content. think Anthem also has a little bit of an advantage because it has four people in a party rather than three. And so, like, if two of your people are sitting there and taking out an enforcer, right, you still have two people in order to, like, run the, um, you know, like, if you're getting the, whatever those pieces of... Um, the shaper relics right like if you need to run shaper relics or you need to run like the echoes or something like that in uh one of the strongholds you still have you have more of a party to kind of like do that sort of thing compared to like in destiny destiny strikes which only have three people hmm yeah no that, that makes sense um kind of in that vein this is this is uh on on like the kind of four person thing you you previously during the beta had said that um it doesn't feel as good when multiple people are playing the same javelin do you still feel feel like that feels that that holds true yeah uh, yes that is something that i do think holds true i kind of wish that they actually differentiate like every single like every single mission was one javelin unique um, because it just sucks to be playing a Colossus and, like, running around with your shield, and then another Colossus, like, runs through, and you're just like, oh, you know, it's like, and it's not, it's not, it's not that it sucks, or it's not that it feels bad for, like, any real gameplay reasons, it's almost, like, more aesthetic, like, I want to be the guy running through all of the mooks with my shield and and knocking them down, right? You don't get to be that guy, right? Or if I'm playing the Interceptor, I, I want to be the Juki Ninja 
you know, the Juki Ninja Javelin that's like meleeing these guys to death. Um, and it's but it just like feels it just like feels weird in almost like a selfish or like narcissistic way when you're like meleeing down a boss or something like that, and then you see another interceptor come in right next to you and start meleeing that boss. <laughs> That's uh, so, so. So that's super interesting because I get that right. Like, I feel like the roles are a little bit more split in the uh, in, in in Anthem, right? Like, um, if we're gonna if we're gonna use our D and D four E archetypes, because it feels like they fit in pretty well, right? Like, you've got your yeah. um, your tank, your damage, your uh, I guess there's no support healer, um, but uh, and then your controller, and yeah. then you know, yeah, like yeah, the storms yeah. the wizard. The, uh, the 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 Colossus is the ta- is the is the warrior, um, the the Interceptor is the rogue, and the Ranger is the Ranger, um, because uh, they, they they didn't think to come up with a new name for that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, and I, I definitely feel like because they, they all have their role kind of set right, like you can't be a um, like a, a di- like it feels like you you can't be as much of like you couldn't spec into like the DPS role as the Colossus for as much difference as there is there is that accurate right like you're always kind of building health and building tankier. I hmm. So I do think I think all of the javelins do about the same damage, um, and I haven't gotten a sense that any of the javelin is more damage focused than any other javelin, but I do think that the javelins do different kinds of, this is kind of why I say it's not a gameplay thing, it's more of an aesthetics thing, right, like, if I'm on my Colossus, and I'm shield bashing enemies, and that's the way that I'm doing, you know, like, I'm doing my damage contribution to the group, it's, it's not that I'm, it's just that somebody else is doing the cool niche specific thing that I want to be doing in a way. So it's kind of like being in a party with it's like being in a it's like being in a D&D party with somebody who is who is a carbon copy of your character, which is a little unfair, right? But like and so every time, you know, you are you are using your smite evil, somebody else the next turn goes I also smite evil and just like, God, come on, smite evil is my thing, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Get no, your, I, get your, you know, like that's the feeling is, is that, that comes of it. It's not that like, you know, okay. Um, um the, it, the, the, the tankiness of the, the tankiness of the Colossus is an interesting thing. Um, we, we, like we were just playing before the cast, the Colossus doesn't have a dodge and can't evade all the other three classes all can evade. Um, which makes the Colossus have to have more health and like an activatable shield and everything like that because it the Colossus is naturally going to be taking a lot more damage because it doesn't have the same kind of movement uh, at, its, at its disposal. Yeah. yeah. So like for for you know for an interceptor you need to have a trigger finger on your evade button so that you are dodging a lot of damage and evading as much damage as possible. For a Colossus you need to have your trigger finger on your shield button, right? Because like if an enemy is going to do a big telegraph to attack or whatever you want to be able to get your shield up and and tank it um but like for instance that thing with the the, you know like that instance where you are 1v1ing against the uh, or i'm sorry 2v1ing against the enforcer you could have any javelin hold the enforcer's attention and you could have any javelin 
deal damage to the Enforcer's fuel tanks pretty equitably, I would say. Um, it was just like how they hold that attention, how they mitigate the incoming damage is kind of like, is kind of up for grabs, right? Uh, a Colossus would pop a shield, an Interceptor would be dodging around, uh, the Ranger has the big dome, the Storm has the wind wall thing that blocks projectiles or whatever, right? Like, so it is it is much more about style than it is about like raw numbers. Okay, that makes sense. Um the, the reason I brought this up is just to just to kind of compare. Um you know, you have said that one of the things you didn't like about Destiny is that um the classes don't feel super differentiated. And I, I would I would yeah. for the most part agree with that. Um there's some class specific exotics that I think can help kind of fuel the the power fantasies and I think the supers differentiate them. Um but I Definitely think that that works in its favor in the situation, right? Like if I run on a three warlock team or two warlock one hundred team, I don't feel as even somebody who's running the same spec as me, who's running like another chaos reach warlock, I don't feel as uh, uh weird. One because it's like I guess because we're first person, uh, it's not as visible to me. Like even even if they were running the same guns, I don't know if I'd notice as much. Um, but I think part of that too is, is, uh, it's also very unlikely that they're running the exact same gun loadout as me, which is a lot more of the identity of the character, right? Like there's, it is super unlikely that they're running the exact same three guns as I am, as, as well as the same class as me and, and whatnot. Um, and I wonder if that, um, makes the game feel like a little bit less, like, even though like, you know, the kind of the canonical, uh, fire team is one of each class, um, if it's if it's uh, less of a problem for Destiny, uh, because like if if those issues, yeah, like yeah, I mean, I think I wonder if Destiny maybe you would feel that way about gun loadouts. Uh, just like I could imagine a situation where three people are bringing sniper rifles and want to do very long ranged things, but because no one is doing close ranged and kind of like tanking the attention of the enemies, it's kind of impossible. But like, I think I definitely think that that is a fair point. Yeah. Um, I you, like, there just isn't that kind of that, that kind of overlap. I also do want to be a little bit clear in the sense that, um, that overlap doesn't necessarily happen. I've been in groups with, um, so like, for instance, you can be, the different ability builds can make you different, uh, from other of your class. Uh, so like not all Colossus are trying to do melee shield bash stuff. Sometimes they are trying to hang back and hover and just like pump auto cannon rounds into somebody or whatever. Um, but that I, I do think that that is something that hits harder more in Anthem just because of the way, like, the classes are differentiated. And so much of the enjoyment of that game is in your ability to do, like, cool, unique shit that you that you find these big, powerful synergies in the system and you want to exploit them. You know, this is, this is interesting because now that I think about this, right, like, the gun loadouts, the gun loadouts thing, um, I think was definitely... A th- felt like a thing a little bit more like a year ago when I was playing the first time around, but that was when there were static rolls on all the guns. Now that there are randomized rolls, right? Like I, I, I can see kind of shades of that if everybody's say running the same exotic because the exotics still have static rolls. Um, uh, but um, even if you and I are running the same uh, pistol, like uh, the, it's called Better Devils, it was super popular in year one. It's still a popular gun nowadays in in uh in destiny 2 but 
the the chance of your better devils and my better devils being the exact same better devils are like nothing um just because the, the chances are we're going to be rolling with different different randomized stats so we, even then they're not going to present the same way which is interesting um uh i guess i guess maybe that can roll into the next uh another topic which i i would say uh, something is uh, i'm going to call it loot feel um because that's got to be like the the other big half of a looter shooter is, is how the loot feels and um i think this is something that destiny 2 got wrong on launch when it when it kept with its static rolls because um it felt like you couldn't get new stuff right like that you know once you had a thing you kind of had a thing um, yeah. um and now that there's there's just more loot in the table so like even even you, you know you get diff- even if you it's harder to get two of the same gun but even if you do now it's uh they're, they're all kind of like a little bit different from one another. Um, this is something that's on face seemed to be, um, seemed to be like a thing that Anthem had going for it. Um, given that there is not only a wide variety of loop, there's a wide variety of kind of randomized affixes. This is yeah. a thing that is available. It's just a kind of overview. This is a thing available to Anthem because there's no PVP element. So you don't have to worry about like things that are a little bit off balance, kind of screwing up your PVP environment, which is, I think, you know, like it's like, the, you know, you, you have the ability to do crazier things in Anthem because you don't have to worry about fighting another javelin um, and having that work out. Um, but I have heard from various review sources online um, that uh, the loot doesn't feel super great because the guns are kind of anemic and so the stats on them don't feel as great. How, how do you feel about that? Having been, um, I feel like so. I haven't had that experience, uh, mostly because the masterwork abilities are kind of like the point, and then you can iterate on them a little bit. The one thing I actually do think that sucks a little bit is that because the different powers are tied to like loot and abilities and stuff like that, like, for instance, I like the flamethrower on the Colossus a lot, you know, it's fun to set guys on fire, right? Uh, but like... Right now, I I have an epic flamethrower, and I have a masterwork, which is one level higher than epic, acid spitter, right? And it's not that I don't like the acid spitter, but there is that kind of, like, pull of being like, well, you know, you have the masterwork, you should equip the masterwork, like, what are you, what, what are you doing, buddy, kind of thing. Um, and that doesn't feel super great. Uh, to a certain extent, but, like, I'm kind of just, like, willing to pay that price. I do think that there were some problems, uh, especially with the inscriptions early on, um, the inscriptions used to be a very wide table of affixes with a very wide table of kind of intensities, right? So for instance, yeah, I, I saw get, that you could roll at zero percent for a little while, right? Yeah, you could you so it used to be from zero to two hundred and fifty, and so and zero was rare, and two hundred fifty was also rare. Um, they have changed that since to one to two hundred and fifty percent. Like one percent or one hundred percent. One one percent. Okay. So you could get a one percent, you know, plus sniper damage on a sniper rifle. The big thing that they've done is they have removed so-called garbage affixes from loot. So, for instance, it used to be something that you could get plus shotgun ammo, plus LMG damage, you know, on a sniper rifle, and it's like, well, what the fuck? You know, like those affixes are uh, no matter what I do, even if I put a shotgun in my other 
piece on my loadout, I'm always going to have an affix that is unusable for me. And so they've gotten rid of some of that stuff, um, where some of the affixes, um, like if you're going to roll a gun affix, it is for the gun itself. So you, if you roll plus ammo, it is always going to be plus sniper ammo. Um, the other thing is that because there are four affixes on most pieces of gear, people like the 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 affixes are like primary major primary minor secondary major secondary minor um i think it's how they is how they call it um and some of those affixes are just like not super powerful right like you know plus five percent ammo pickup drops or whatever is just kind of that's not a huge deal but uh, that stuff doesn't you know they like I'm not going to get bent out of shape or define the gun by its lowest quality affix. I like to find the gun by its most important affix and quality. Um, so, yeah, I feel like uh, maybe once you get into a position where you have tons and tons of masterworks and you are only trying to roll slightly superior masterworks, that could be a thing. But uh, otherwise, I just haven't really felt uh, I just haven't really felt that. Yeah, that's that, that's that's kind of a, a typical um, what's a hack and slash action RPG problem, right? Like this this famously is why I always fall off Diablo three whenever I yeah. go back to it. Is like I hit the point where it's like, well, I'm just looking for slightly better numbers on the piece of armor I already have, and I fucking hate that. So who cares? Um, yeah, no, that is absolutely a thing. I mean, uh, you know, part of it is that like all of the different guns. Um, each have, I think, two masterworks, and then there is, like, one legendary. So that means each of the different guns has three different variations that'll have a different major bonus. All of the masterworks, like, really dynamically change your gameplay. Um, so I do think that there is a lot to kind of, like, hunt for uh, if you are trying to, like, you know, make something of a specific build, right? Um, or find there's masterwork components, uh, of which there are, you know, a bazillion different slots. So I feel like there is a lot to hunt for just on the I want to fill out my whole list with masterwork items level. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, like, I, I think it is fair to kind of like, you know, this is something that Monik was saying when we were talking about it, where he was kind of like, the differences in those inscriptions is kind of like minor and meaningless. So why would I even bother? Um, and that is, that is exactly, that's exactly what you've described. That's when you hit like the fucking tippy top of the loot cap, essentially. Okay. That makes sense. Um, this is this is going to be kind of framed a little bit weird, but do you have anything on the roadmap for Anthem that you're super hyped about? Because I've I've got a lot of like a lot of these drifter features that are coming out in a couple of days. I'm I'm really hyped about, and I think that can highlight a couple of things there that uh, are really drawing me into it. But uh, I I will let you go first if you got something. So what on are the, the so what I'm sorry uh, is there a roadmap for Destiny? So, so there's a there Destiny? is a loose roadmap, um, but because the drifter content is coming out literally in. I think like less than 48 hours. Um, we have most of kind of like the preview information, right? Like, so okay. I'll, I'll, I'll just go into it. Um, uh, the drifter is the season of the drifter is the next season. We're exiting the season of the forge. Um, and the season of the drifter focuses around the sky, the drifter who runs gambit, which is the new mode for forsaken, which is this kind of hybrid PV PVP mode, which is great by the way. Um, uh, you should buddy, uh, even if even if you don't want to get Forsaken, I think you could still play Gambit if you just want to jump in and give it a shot. Um, okay. And everything what, is what, levels. What is Gambit? So the way the way Gambit works is um, 
you kind of go out into an arena and then you kill a bunch of PvE PvE enemies. Um, uh, you know, just it's randomized between the different uh, races that you can fight, and then they drop these uh, modes. It's, it's always it's like the same race per match, right? Like you're always fighting Cabal or you're always fighting uh, Forsaken for that whole match. Um, and when you kill them, they drop these uh, moats, which are just kind of like dubers. And you pick them up and then you throw them in your central bank. Um, and when you throw them in the bank, um, if you throw in enough of them, um, you send uh, a taken enemy to the other team that they have to fight before they can deposit more moats in their bank. Um, and you're racing to deposit 75 moats Um in your bank, at which point you will spawn a big taken primeval, and then you want to kill that primeval. And when that primeval is dead, you win the round. Um, and okay. Um, the the kind of uh, twists in this are at twenty five and fifty moats. You open up a portal to the other team where you can go through, and if you kill someone, they drop all the moats they're holding. Like they don't, they're lost. They, they don't even drop on the ground. They just they're they're gone to the ether. Um, this happens if you die to the PVE enemies, but obviously that's a little bit more of a rare situation. Um, and on top of that, um, once you hit 75, the portal keeps opening. Like, like once you hit 75, your opponent's portal keeps opening fairly frequently. Um, and they can send a guy over. And if they kill you, it keeps putting health back on the primeval. So you get into these really intense back and forths um, trying to knock down the primeval. There could be blowouts, so it's not always the most fun thing in the world. But um, uh, uh it's it, it usually is, is is pretty fun. There's three rounds. It's a best of three system, right? Um, if you win two in a row, you're good. Otherwise, it goes to to three. Um, and it's just a, a great mode altogether. Now, with this new season of the Drifter, the Drifter is the guy who runs Gambit. Like in universes, like all all of the activities in Destiny have like an in universe explanation for what's happening. The Crucible, which is the PvP, is um, uh, Guardians fighting against each other to train themselves so they can be better out in the world and actually has deep lore implications because there were like a couple of the big villains from like the, from like the, 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 the dark past essentially um, were guardians who got too into the crucible and were like too like bloodthirsty. And so they turned into like, they like basically turned into dark guardians, right? Like, um, and so like, and this is like the PVP mode, right? So that, like th th this mm. is, this is part of why I like Destiny so much is that the lore is really good. Um, and so the Drifter is literally, like, luring these enemies in, and he has the Taken in a ball behind his ship, which is like, what the hell are you doing, right? The Taken are, like, the some of the big bads in the universe. And so the lore of this next expansion that's coming out, uh, or this next season uh, that's coming out, has to do with, like, what, who the hell he is and his interaction with this group called the Nine, which has been very enigmatic. But the big thing that comes with that... Um, is this new mode called Gambit Prime, which is a single round mode, which is supposed to be similar to Gambit. We don't know all the details yet, um, but the boss is supposed to be more complex. But the bigger thing is, is uh, you get armor that gives you perks for the mode specifically based around four different roles, which are um, Invader, uh, Sentry, which is the guy who kind of like defends your bank and defends you from invaders, uh, Reaper, who kills a bunch of enemies, and Collector, who collects moats. Um, again, we don't have a ton of detail on what this means, but like it, it kind of... Um, builds out like a whole new like a whole new mode with a whole new meta around it to play, um, along with new gambit maps to 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 play the regular gambit with, um, and so uh, this this is why I'm so hyped about it is because you play Gambit Prime and then you, it it uh, the next thing you do is you play this pinnacle PVE activity called I want to say it's called Reckoning I could be wrong about that 
Um, but in that, it's uh, it's like a PVE activity where you earn the armor for Gambit Prime, and the idea is that you cycle back and forth between the two, and that's the core loop of this uh, of this season. Um, the previous season was, or the season we're currently in, I guess, is uh, is the Forges, which are another, it's another pinnacle PVE activity. Um, and so all this stuff has been so great because it's uh, a lot of cool story stuff with it, right? Like, uh, you know, you get to find out more about the world of Destiny, which has this weird and convoluted lore that kind of, it's it's, it's kind of almost Dark Souls-ish in nature. There's a lot of information in, like, menu screens and on items. Um, yeah, I felt I felt myself much more connected to the lore in Anthem just as playing through the story than I was when I played through Destiny. I like the Destiny story um, because I thought it was philosophically interesting and like there were some like big themes at play. Uh, but Anthem felt a lot more accessible, right? You know, you get into the game, you learn about a couple of the factions, you learn about some of the the, the history. Um, it sets up characters and and like character interactions there's a really cool tease i don't want to spoil anything there's a really cool tease at the end of the uh the main story missions that seems to set up where uh the story is going from here which is really neat um but it does not have that sort of like i mean i i, I guess it does have that same like depth in the sense of just like explaining the universe to a certain extent but like destiny has so much time uh that it has established these principles on uh that i feel like it has like an advantage just by volume yeah and mm, i i think i think i i think you're with the last year the red war storyline which is about callus i believe um is less kind of like approachable but this the forsaken storyline which is uh from august i want to say is a lot more a lot more kind of personal at that level because uh, this isn't really a spoiler because it's in all the trailers but the opening of the campaign is kate six dies um mm -hmm. and this is a character that you're attached to right voiced by nathan fillion um he's like the only one that i was attached to. yeah he's the only I one mean, with any personality um which is mean but it's true <laughs> uh, so i mean i feel like you you like you, you get into the personality of the one i don't i think so i don't know i don't think ikora has a particular who's the warlock uh, Vanguard has a particularly deep personality, but Shax, who doesn't have a ton of lines, but is kind of like he's he's the one that the voices over the Crucible, and so he's got like a he's got a very clear character to him just because you hear him talking all the time in the Crucible. It's like, like don't you know uh, what what, what uh, it's like, yeah. they're gaining ground. Take take it back, Guardian. You know, just <laughs> he, he, <laughs> it's like Sylvanas. Yeah, kind of. Greymane holds Greymane's forces. Hold this warden tower. <laughs> Um, kind of, except that, like, that's all Shax is, and so, like, you feel, you feel it in him, um, uh, and, you know, even, even Saladin, who comes up, who comes in once a month to run Iron Banner, feels different than Shax, but I definitely take your point on that, um, but because it's kind of a revenge story about remembering Kate, like, um, one of the last missions, uh, this is mild spoiler territory, um, for uh, reacquiring Kate's pistol um, involves going around and getting basically messages from Kate that he left because he, in case he died, um, and just kind of like that all oozes personality. And as you do that, you unlock these these kind of journal entries in the in the triumph section, um, and reading them just kind of like 
explains a lot more about who Cade was and, and it just feel like it, it kind of like leads you from like the very kind of surface level story of, um, you know, you know, revenge story for your friend to kind of like, uh, these little bit more detail, like the detailed things about who Cade was as a person, how he viewed the people around him to these very specific kind of treatises that he has written down as journal entries that are like, you know, the, this is, this is how, how I viewed the world and, you know, maybe I screwed up in these ways. And it, it's, 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 it's super interesting. And so, you know, this is part of why I've been in love with destiny for the past month. Uh, so similarly, I want to, I want to ask you, you obviously talk, talked about the story stuff. Um, uh, along with all the story stuff it, for me. Yeah, I mean, it's re- it's really tough because I don't want to spoil anything um, because there there are some twists and turns to the story that I didn't anticipate. I thought that they were – I kind of thought that they were zigging and they were zagging and stuff like that. Um, but it really set up, I think, a very good and strong baseline um, on which to build out the rest of the game. There's small stuff – like, there's small kind of, like, incremental – um, like world building story stuff that I find uh, really compelling. So like, for instance, you know, you meet, um, you know, there, there's a whole set of missions where you meet a certain Sentinel and her name is Sentinel Dax. And she's kind of like a, she's kind of like a badass who doesn't really play by the rules, but the Sentinels are like law and order. And so she kind of chafes under it and she's like a, and she's like royalty or whatever. And she, and as far as I can tell, she's kind of just like a completely superfluous character to the overall story of Anthem. But she is, she's got a, like, she's, she's fun and she has a lot of personality and, it's cool to go on a, like a mission with her or whatever. And then there are the three factions, right? There's the freelancers, the arcanists and the sentinels. And each of the different one of those has their own uh, like personality, like Matthias, obviously in um, uh, who we played in the demo or like, like his mission, that triple threat mission is all about like Matthias, the arcanist. Um, like all of that stuff I thought was was really cool and interesting but like the the actual lore of the game and like the thrust of the story is not so much in like this main fight against the monitor who gets set up like um it is much more about using this kind of basic story structure to introduce you to the wider set of the world and its characters. Um, so for instance, the tombs mission that people need to do in order to, uh, progress through the game, that is all about kind of like learning the background about general Tarsus and who she was and like the Legion of the Dawn and stuff like that. Um, and I feel like those pieces of the game where it gives you the little snippets of uh it gives you these like little snippets of like the background histories that are these hanging plot threads that can be picked up at a later date that's where anthem is probably going to end up shining right six months from now when they announce like so you know like when they pick up one of those plot threads it's going to be very cool to be like oh my god you know like i remember this from the main storyline or something along those lines do you know what i mean yeah ab- absolutely and and content wise is there anything announced that you're super excited for yeah so the roadmap uh so they announced the roadmap which is the next 90 days they 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 call them acts um which is apparently just 90 days of uh act one, I like Act 1, 2, and 3. We are currently in Act 1. Um, March 
each of the each of the months comes with new items uh and then kind of like a new big top line uh system so for instance march um has the release of um like legendary like the first set of legendary missions are coming out and then a couple of just like free play event missions um and then in April, it is a an expanded progression system called the Mastery System, and then a whole bunch of just like uh, oh, also the new Stronghold comes out in in April, and then in May is what is what unlocks what are called Cataclysms, which we still don't know what they are, but sound like they're kind of world event like world raids in a way. Um, they are talked about as like a super hardcore top level. Um, uh, end game piece of end game piece of content i'm very excited to see what the rest of the lore of the game will end up being um because i do think that like i you know i just got connected to the characters and i got connected to the story i guess um and when they bring back stuff that they teased in that main mission i'm gonna be the first person to be like oh my god right like you know uh acts two and act three are listed but they are locked acts two seems to have something to do with scars act three seems to have something to do with the legion of the dawn um but uh but yeah i think i think them adding new items is going to be the biggest thing um once like right now there are five abilities uh, for each of the so like there's 10 abilities total split between the two slots getting more and varied abilities for those slots i think is going to make a pretty big difference and getting more and varied masterwork items uh for weapons i think is going to make a pretty big difference in how people approach and sort of play the game because it'll give people a better uh ability to make skill um and to, to make choices about the skills that they are carrying into combat um and so, uh, and then the, whatever this mastery system, nobody really knows what this is. Uh, there was initially talk about like a pilot's system, um, and then they eventually put that away as a, uh, like they, it was going to release with this like pilot progression system, but then they decided that it didn't add enough things and they wanted to redo it. So they, they put that aside and I think that that's what's coming out in two um, I think that's what's coming out in two months. Um, I think it sucks that the, it didn't get released with this kind of thing, but I also, like, I guess I kind of like being drip-fed some of these events. Part of me thinks that Anthem isn't a game that I want to be playing full-time, if that makes sense. Or maybe I'll play it full-time for, like, a week out, out of every three months in the same way that, like, when a new WoW patch comes out, I play that full-time for a week or whatever because I'm, you know, I'm completing the next phase of the war campaign or, you know, kind of, like, whatever else sort of thing. Um, and, but that otherwise, it's just kind of like, I'll log in, I'll do my legendary missions, one or two of them, and then I'll go play something else sort of thing. And that is where I think these games, to, to, to kind of, like, dial it out a little bit, that's, I think, where these games kind of shine in a way when I treat them more along the lines of um, a low-level hobby that I engage with on a... Uh, a like, when I treat them like a low-level hobby that I engage with on, like, an hour-per-day max sort of 
uh, rate rather than something that I'm investing a lot of time and effort into. If you, if I wanted to invest a lot of time and effort into it, I can. There's four javelins. There's plenty of different, you know, like if I wanted to, to fill out alternative loadouts for my different javelins, if I wanted to fill out alternative loadouts just for my Colossus, I could obviously kind of like do that or whatever. Um, but I feel like I don't want to rush through that stuff and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be one of these guys that reaches end game in six hours and then is like burnt out on the game after five days just because like i don't know i kind of, kind of feel like in a certain sense that's not the way that these games are meant to be played how do you feel about that i think that you can play them that way like so it depends on what you want right like i think it's hard to play any of these games for what like i think if you want if you burn if you burn hard on these games you burn bright and then you fall off kind of like this is kind of like how i play wow right like i will play it absurdly hard for the first handful of days like i like past couple of expansions i've been the first among our guild to hit the cap just because i kind of like bang my face silly on the keyboard for a couple of days but i'm also the first one to fall off inevitably um and I'm okay with that, right? Like, that's kind of, like, how I enjoy playing WoW. Um, but I've also kind of understood... I, I've kind of come to terms with the fact that, like, that's essentially how I play these games. And that's fine for me, because, like like I said, I fully expect at some, at some point soon to run out of things that drive me to play Destiny. I've gotten kind of lucky because I got back into it um, at the right time to kind of transition over into like the uh the new season so it'll be pulled pushed out a little bit longer um but uh this is interesting because um i was saying this before we got on the cast but um the dailies the dailies for destiny um i have no reason to do them because it's not like i'm I'm using the tokens for anything but i still kind of feel compelled to do them i think part of that is because it's mechanically a lot more entertaining than, say, WoW was. I'm not going to compare it to Anthem because I haven't played enough with it. Mm-hmm. But, like, WoW, the combat never felt as rich to me as as the Destiny gunplay does. And so maybe that's it, it's just more fun for me in, in, in that way. And that's why I can keep playing it even though I, the, the, the bounties themselves are not particularly rewarding once you kind of hit max light. Um uh, but I, I definitely kind of see your point. And I think that pacing it, like the, the designers are definitely designing the game such that by the time you hit the end of the season, the people who have been pacing it out have a reasonable chance of finishing everything. Not, and not for the crazy people to have like full content for all, uh, you know, yeah. every hour. Yeah. I mean, th- this is, this is a little bit of how I feel about, um, for instance, uh, wow and the reputation caches that they added right like what are they called the paragon rewards i like the paragon rewards are cool and they contain cool stuff right like they contain currency that you can save up in order to buy like rare mounts and stuff like that and i think if you are a very hardcore wow player i could see you like going out and grinding tons and tons of world quests because like you really want that fucking like crow lusk mount or whatever but i think for most people it's like yeah i got too exalted or i got you know i got the the max item level for my character so i don't really need to worry about doing world quests and that's a completely fine decision uh to be you know like to be making even if you are in a raid group or you are kind of like doing sort of um 
whatever, you know, like doing, doing kind of whatever else. Um, and so I like that Anthem and Destiny and WoW have things to do. If you want to know life the game, right, and you just want to, like, go super hard and gear up 12 characters, you can do that, right? If you want to farm for the very best inscriptions for your build, you are also permitted to to kind of do that and there is some there is a grindstone that you can just like shove your head against um in order to uh you know like in order to find to find the value out of it but i don't know i I sort of think that the the games are built for a little bit of a more casual relationship and i'm fine with that it's you know i think a lot of these games are built this way and it's not just you know any of these mmo games or otherwise i guess you would classify something like hearthstone as an mmo but like the idea that i log on to hearthstone and i complete my quests and then i log out i think is a perfectly fair and almost more normal way to interface with that game um than you know if i'm just like sitting there grinding games in ranked or something do you know what i mean absolutely um yeah absolutely I've got um, – this is going to kind of burn into our uh, week time, but this has been a lot of our weeks, so I, I feel comfortable doing it. But um, some, something that is, is tangential tangential, but I've been thinking about a little bit is, is um, how do you feel about the general tact of MMOs to kind of have single-player stories even though you're ostensibly in an MMO world? Like Destiny kind of has – like gets around this a little bit because theoretically like – any guard, like you know, any guardian could be doing the things you're doing, even though kind of canonically you're doing the kind of special things in terms of yeah. the lore. Um, I, World of Warcraft has the same kind of thing. It feels like the freelancer and Anthem is a little bit more tightly tied to this, as as was the case with, uh, from what I remember of the Kotor story, the 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 Kotor online storyline, um, or the old Republic as just Tor. Um, whereas you're much more the guy in the storyline. Um, something about that just feels off to me because, you know, you're, you're sensibly supposed to be one-on-one -on -one among many. That's kind of the draw of a lot of these games. How do you feel about that? So uh, I think WoW is the best uh, storytelling in the MMO environment, which is obviously not something that I am an expert on. But just in my experience, Destiny, Anthem, all of these guys have kind of fallen before uh, before WoW. Just part partially because WoW comes out of three games of Warcraft that give it a lot of like backstory and lore. Um, but I think that the modern iterations of WoW have just spent a lot of time getting it right when it comes to portraying your character in in the universe and the stories of Zoldazar or Voldoon or whatever are just like really compelling in a way that, um, that I don't think really many other shows or many other, uh, games in that MMO space have kind of like equaled. Even if I do, you know, I love, I love a lot of these Anthem characters and I feel really connected to them and they have like good, um, and they have like good personalities and stuff like that. But, uh, I do I do think that there is a little bit of that issue. Um, and it's something that I feel like the the game just kind of has to tell you, listen, suspend your disbelief. There's no way that this is going to kind of like work otherwise. Um, in in Destiny there's the Guardians in uh, Anthem is the f it's the freelancers, and in WoW you are the champion of the horde. But hypothetically, everybody is and kind of goes through that that same story, um, and it just kind of is what it is. Uh, I I think, in a certain sense, um, 
holding the holding that title over somebody's head to try and make it fit within like the logic of the game isn't super great. Um, I would much rather you go hard on it in the sense that like WoW does, right? Where you you are the champion and that makes sense or whatever for the context of the story than this sort of thing where it's like, well, anybody could be the, you know, like anybody could be the guardian. We're all guardians. I don't know. That does feel a little bit weird to me. Uh, and it kind of like brings up, in, in a certain sense, because I feel like Anthem and Destiny are kind of, beating around the bush a little bit when it comes to that and they don't want to be so explicit as to be like no you are the champion of the horde or the champion of the alliance or whatever it that that act of beating around the bush is what creates the dissonance for me whereas with wow who just kind of says yeah sure there are other people there are other fucking adventures in zandalar but you are the special one and that's it you know like that just sure i'll accept it on those terms that's fine hmm Okay, it's 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 interesting. I, don't know, I I I personally think like I felt it worst in in WoW when with the uh, with the class hall stuff. Um, but I, I I you know even like the the champion of the horde and champion dealing yeah I think no, that you could slough uh, yeah, off a little okay, bit more. So that's fair. So I was thinking about it in terms of that BFA champion of the horde stuff. But I actually do agree with you about the class hall stuff because there was that weird dissonance for you to be like, oh, you are the fucking battle lord. You are the biggest baddest master of the valor yard and then you run around skyhold and there's a million other fucking warriors here am i the super special warrior or am i not right um that is the there there is that like that is the same kind of like dissonance that i that i feel out of having like oh well you're the special freelancer but here's all these other freelancers or you're the special guardian but here's all these other fucking guardians yeah um i i so i i think the thing with destiny is that there are few things that like explicitly reference you as like the special dude right like it's it's it i feel like there, there's a like like most of the things you do it doesn't necessarily like it doesn't have to have been like a special dude doing it right like the 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 kate stuff like the main storyline stuff yes but like you know when you're doing a strike there's no reason that it has to be the guardian that also avenged Cade that is uh disentangling this vex mystery right like it could just be anybody um my i I guess my question is is do you think there's a way to write it such that such that this is never an issue or do you think that like it it just you you lose connection with your character if he's he's never so you know you know what i actually i love the way that they handled this in mass effect 3 and i think that this might be the best way to handle it in mass effect 3 when you go on a mission you are just a nameless foot soldier Um, and I kind of think that maybe there is some cool, like, there is something cool about that, where you don't worry about the sort of, like, you know, you don't, you, there is no need for you to, uh, in in the multiplayer you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, in the Mass Effect multiplayer, right? Like, you are just, you are just canonically a group of soldiers on a fire team who is going and completing this objective um, until you get, you know, evacuated or whatever, right? Like, and I sort of almost wonder if, like, if the stories were less revolving around you as, like, the special guardian that avenged Cade or, you know, like, the special freelancer that unlocked the tomb of General Tarsus, um... 
if that would be a more successful framework because like yeah stories about like common everyday soldiers are still good stories and i don't need to be like you know the game doesn't need to get on its fucking knees and like suck my dick in order for me to like enjoy playing it you know like the band of brothers saving private ryan like these are these are stories about just regular ass soldiers in a war zone and i feel like you could do that same sort of thing yeah yeah, no, I, I, I think I agree. Um, I also, th- I'm, I'm interested, kind of, um, there's like a rash of, of old style, you know, classic quote unquote MMOs coming out from the kind of designers of those old games who are like, oh, we don't want yeah. theme parks anymore. MMOs, have, MMOs, the time of MMOs has come again because we can crowdfund them up to a billion dollars and it doesn't matter that nobody thinks we're viable anymore. Um, and I wonder if these kind of like, they're kind of generally like big PvP focused and most like the uh, Crowfall and uh, Camelot Unchained. I are the two big ones that come to mind as well as like there's someone called like Avalon or something. Um, uh, and they're all kind of like from the people, like I said, who who made these old ones. I mean, even like Classic WoW coming out, I feel like is in defense of that kind so, of. So, so WoW, Classic WoW is different because WoW is, has always been a theme park MMO. Um, there's oh, you think so? Uh, yeah, I feel like I. I, okay. Okay. It's, okay. Fine. In, in, in comparison to the sandboxes of old, um, uh, like I think, I, yeah, I guess I think WoW is like classic WoW is almost a transitionary period. So I kind of, I think it could kind of go either way. It is definitely less of a theme park than it is sure. now. WoW is sure, very theme absolutely. parky now. I, I will give you that. Um, um, but but that might not be enough to make it like full sandbox. Yeah. Um. It's it's definitely not full sandbox. Um. Um. I wonder if, like, those games aren't trying to tell stories at all, right? Like, they're not trying to tell, like, explicit, like, narrative stories, which is why I think that Classic WoW still counts as as, as a theme park because it does have some of that, even though it's much less of it. Um, And I feel like those games want the stories that get told to be people kind of telling war stories about the campaign they're playing in, which is kind of a naturally evolved thing. Um and I, I guess it's just like a hard, a really hard thing to pull off, right? Yeah. Because um, it requires like a kind of like mysterious special sauce that just works, right? Like this, this is yeah, how like I mean, Eve uh, works, right? Like there's no real storylines in Eve, but people talk about like the great coups and the great like uh, battles that get fought. Um, yeah, I mean, really, what I'm sort of advocating in this situation is for something smaller scale than what we sure. have been seeing, right? Like a story about you know, you know, like. This is something that's a little bit like passe for for like Anthem, where you are like like special. But like, there are a couple of missions where I feel like you could have just like that is the story, right? Like, you know, a freelancer went out on a mission and went missing, and you need to help get them back. You don't need to be somebody like special or crazy in order to like build your story, if that makes sense, around a, a kind of like mundane mission like that. But when you when you are building your stories around these kind of like singular feats that can only happen once, right? Like you are the champion of the horde yeah. who went to Voldoon and slew the big general bad guy, right? You are the freelancer that entered the tomb of General Tarsus, which has been locked for like eons or whatever. You are the guardian that was able to hold on to the light when every other guardian lost it, right? Like these are the things that are about like making you feel special. And I feel like you could just not 
you just you don't like those things aren't required or necessary i could still feel special and cool and unique just by being me a soldier doing regular ass soldier shit right regular ass soldier shit that like still you know what i mean like you could still be even in lower level like even do lower level stuff and be like the guy it's just like something there's something about these really like big crazy feats that that rubs me the wrong way a little bit it's like saying i'm the guy that killed the lich king yeah or, or you know i'm i'm the guy what would be a real world example i'm the guy who i don't know i guess this doesn't happen in the real world as much I'm the I'm the guy that killed Osama bin Laden. Yeah, yeah, I guess, right? Like, uh, you know, if the real world was an MMO, we'd all be on we'd all be on SEAL Team Six rather than being like an, an uh, you know like a, an infantry man, I guess. No, yeah, yeah, that is absolutely. I think that is the the proper way to uh, that's the proper way to frame it. Um. Well, I will say you have successfully gotten me to consider more picking Destiny back up. I felt so good about putting Destiny down. I was like, you know, I had a fun time with it, but it's not the game for me, and I didn't even pay any money for it because I bought it with, like, wow, fun bucks. So this was a good, you know, like, this was good. 30 hours, I feel solidly satisfied. I don't ever need to go back. But um, If, if you want to dip your toes back in, you can do that without buying any of the new Without stuff. buying Forsaken? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, just to see what it's like. <clears throat> yeah, the other thing is that I've been playing, and this is, I guess, a good transition. I've been playing other games too, uh, especially because, like, just like all of these things, all came out back to back to back. Uh, Stellaris had the Mega Corps uh, come out as a grab or a, a government type. The Civilization Six expansion, Gathering Storm, which kind of introduced sort of both natural disasters and climate change. Plus, I'd never really played Rise and Fall, came out, so I've been playing Civilization Six, and most recently the Hearts of Iron Four expansion, Man the Guns, which is a redesign of naval warfare, uh, coupled with a few other sorts of changes in systems. They they one of my favorite things about Hearts of Iron is they kind of realized that playing through like the bog standard World War II is kind of not incredibly interesting. And so they have been consistently adding things to the game to make it like an alt history game. So like you can play like hardcore, you know, you can play a version of the United States that like hardcore embraces New Deal socialism and allies with the Soviet Union and becomes communist. Or you can play, you know, a hardcore fascist United States that embraces segregation and Jim Crow and becomes fascist and ally with like Germany or whatever. Uh, both of those options, by the way, also have a good chance of leading you back into a civil war. Um, and it's just like stuff like that. I feel like is pretty cool when you, when you walk back into, uh, when you walk back into a game. Yeah, no, this is, this is funny. Cause uh, this was in like the, the fake patch notes for Holy Fury. It's like, you know, they added a set of events for you to reform the Roman Empire instead of adding, like, more events around real crusades because, you know, Paradox knows what its fans want. Oh, um, yeah, no, yeah, I really appreciate that about, like, Paradox. I think that that's, like, a cool thing that they have uh, that they have done and focused on. Um, I really want to play, actually, I really want to play Hearts of Iron 4 in a group scenario with people, because I think that that game would actually be pretty fun in a multiplayer situation, um, where it is not, like, it is not necessarily bog standard how things would, would go down. It's a little bit tough because, like, you know, like, to be honest, playing as the U.S. is just, like, you're just so fucking powerful. Can um, you play as, like, governors of states? Does that, like, make sense? 
No, but I do think that if you trigger, like, if you force trigger the Civil War, like, maybe, I think I think if you were playing the game, you would have to force the United States player to either go communist or fascist and try and trigger a Civil War um, just to sort of, like, divide it up. I, I have read some stuff about Hearts of Iron 4 multiplayer where people have talked about using a special mod that that is an alt history mod where um, there is the Union and there is the Confederacy, which is like the South won the Civil War and there's a pretty even divide between uh, like the manufacturing centers in the Union and some of like the resource centers that uh, that are in like the Confederacy. Like Texas has 500 oil in it and it's just like such a gigantic benefit. Like playing Japan is so fucking hard because like you just have no oil and it's like impossible to fuel your fleets and stuff like that um and and the united states is definitely missing some stuff like you do have to trade for chromium you do have to trade for uh like rubber and stuff like that but it's it just kind of like starts on on uh a different level than than some of the other places do I i feel like if you were playing multiplayer you'd have to either all play like different like european powers or like maybe play like you know, everybody plays, like, a different weird kind of secondary power. Oh, like, yeah, like, one person plays Netherlands, somebody plays... Australia. Canada, so, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. I think, actually, that would also be a lot of fun. That, I have know, seen... It would be really fun to play, like, a British Empire game where everybody's a different member of the Empire, like, in oh, the yeah, Australia... Oh, yeah, like, yeah... Canada. Yeah, that is something that you can do because I think you can play as like the Raj, right? Like, um, uh, I think there might be, need to be an expansion for it, but I own all of the Hoi Four expansions. Um, so yeah, because I because I know that there are like challenges on the 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 Hearts of Iron subreddit, um, that people engage in where they say where they like, you know, I want to beat the game as fucking New Zealand or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> and they conquer the whole world as New Zealand. Um, yeah, that's the, I mean that's the way that these games go, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> reform the Roman Empire, take over the world uh, <laughs> in every game. Um, yeah, except so that, for, so that is the that is the big other game that I've been playing. I have also been watching things, uh, but I don't know if or, do you want to do a True Detective season three episode? Um, when does when does it end? It it just ended. Okay. Uh, so I have watched all of True Detective season three, which, in a very generalist, you know, spoiler-free way, is a very good show. Uh, Return to form in season one, though not quite as good as season one. Definitely better than season two. Even though I also rewatched season two and kind of simultaneously liked it more and less. Um, I like season two from what I remember of it. It's been a it's been a while. Um, yeah, there, there were some. There's some aspects of season two that graded on me more the second go round. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not a big fan of the ending, but that's also just because like, uh, I <laughs> season two came out in like a different political time. I feel like, and so the idea of like, oh, this cop with like a crazy conspiracy that she can prove with all the paperwork to a reporter in Venezuela or whatever, like affecting real political change or something is something that I don't have the same sort of faith that the, that the show seems to want me to have. Like, I think it wants me to think that like, yeah, these people are going to get their comeuppance because, you know, uh, even though the three dudes died, what's her face is still, Bezaridis is still out there and she has the, she has the paperwork and she's talking with journalists or whatever. Um, 
And it's just like, dude, nobody cares about the Panama Papers. Nothing happened. Like, you know what I mean? And when and when I put it in those like bleak political terms, I'm just like, oh god, that kind of sucks. Uh, I also think that the acting is not necessarily as good, uh, partially because of the writing and partially because just like, even though I think Colin Farrell and uh, Rachel McAdams and you, you know, like I think all of the four main cast are are very competent actors uh nobody is quite as good as matthew mcconaughey and woody harrelson like yeah so good um similarly in season three like it is just clear that like mahershala ali who i have been standing for you know almost a decade at this point like yes he is something really special uh and he, uh, he was he was the bad guy in uh alita right yeah, he was the bad guy in Alita. His big thing that, like, brought him to the forefront was House of Cards, which is a show that I have a lot of fondness for, um, even if it's not super great, especially at the end. But, uh, yeah, Mahershal Ali plays a lobbyist in House of Cards who uh, who's kind of, like, a minor character, but he just, like, steals that every, you know, every scene he's in. He's just, like... You know, if the guy can, if the guy can go toe to toe with like Kevin Spacey, like, you know, that he's like the real deal. Um, and I also think that part of, uh, and part of what, what hits me about season two is just like the dialogue itself. I actually think that the plot structure and like the writing and like the narrative, all of that stuff is pretty good, pretty great, honestly. Um, but like, they're just like some pieces of like dialogue and characterization, uh, that I don't think are super great. Uh, and do not rub me the right way. Yeah, I, I do want to get back on that bandwagon. Um, we'll see. We'll see if uh, if I've got the the time and the patience. Yeah, to, especially to well because Captain Marvel is coming up this next week. Yeah. Uh, White genocide, the movie, uh, the death of all men forever because the 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 feminists are taking over Mango. Uh, <laughs> I really don't want to talk about this on on. The <laughs> I've been I love just like the drama the the circle jerk subreddit for our movies is just like constantly filled with shit posts about uh the the sort of uh controversies I guess that have cropped up in the wake of Captain Marvel. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll see it next week. I mean, I don't know. I the the controversy is is how do I want to put this? I never thought this movie was going to be great. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I don't know. Like, this movie never inspired me in the first place. So, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to Yeah, I, I think it's also unique in that, like, the trailers really kind of suck. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I've seen a Marvel movie with bad trailers before. And I think bad trailers really matter, right? Like, I, for instance, I think one of the re- I mean... One of the reasons that I think Batman vs. Superman had a tough reception was because that second trailer spoiled the Doomsday thing. I think if Doomsday had been a secret in, the in like, the marketing and that, like, act three of that movie being, you know, the three of them coming together and fighting Doomsday, it would have gone over a lot differently. And if and if and it's kind of one of those things where it's like okay if i think trailers are that powerful how much do i think bad trailers for captain marvel are going to kind of like bleed into the way that i approach this movie i don't know i don't know we'll see yeah i i feel like uh, it would have been a lot better if they didn't like give away the fact that she was originally from earth in the trailer 
Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see next yeah. week. Um, I don't know. I hope it's good. I hope every movie's good because I don't want to watch. Yeah, bad that's movies. true. I definitely. I I don't. I, I I'm never excited to watch a, a bad movie. Yeah. Obviously, except for um, Venom. Except for Venom. <laughs> You know, so something else that's been happening is uh, – have you ever heard of Letterboxd? Uh, no, I have not. So Letterboxd is kind of a social media site. Um, I have just picked one up. Uh, my Letterboxd account is Buddy Sola, all one word. Um, it is a social media account where – that is all about kind of like movies. And it it's kind of like – it allows you to – rate the movies that you've watched whether or not they're good whether or not they're bad um and the and you can highlight movies that you have watched that you want to watch all that other you know uh, so like it's like my anime stuff. list but for like normal people oh yeah 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 that would actually be yes that would actually be uh, a good a good example um and there is there's a five-star reviewing system, but you can give half stars so it's technically like one out of ten right um half a star can to you five give zero? stars would be uh, you cannot give zero. Okay. Um, but I have been having the hardest time thinking about how I want to do my ratings. Because part of me wants to rate quality, since that w- that's what makes sense. But then I would feel bad because I would have to rate, like, I would have to rate Batman vs. Superman, like, two and a half stars. And it's one of my favorite movies, Mango. Like, what? I can't do that. But then it's like, okay, well, if I rate my stars by you know, how much I like a movie or whatever, then I'm going to be filling five stars with shit like Venom. Batman for Superman. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people are going to be like, what? You thought Aquaman was a five star movie. It's, it's so I, I haven't actually done stars for anything yet. And I don't know what, like, I just don't know how I want to be able to, uh, I don't know how I want to, uh, handle it. Uh, the cool thing is that a couple of YouTubers that I follow, uh, Patrick H. Willems, who we've talked about in the shut up about plot holes episode, um, as well as a couple of others have letterboxed accounts and it is nice to kind of follow them. Uh, you get like people, you know, people can see what they are about to come out with from a, like a video perspective, um, based on what they have been adding to their letterboxed. Um, because every time, you know, like every time you watch a movie, hypothetically, you should go to letterboxd and say, Oh, I watched this fucking movie. Um, so yeah, I don't know how I wanna I don't know how I wanna handle that and I haven't answered uh I haven't answered the call. But I do want to have it, especially as a way to help me kind of like categorize my own thoughts about my own uh like about movies that I am sort of seeing. So, so I guess I'm doing promotions a little bit early. <laughs> Follow me on Letterboxd, you guys. So I I would say is you should rate movies about how much you like them. Because you can go to a million places with a million more opinions to get the cultural consensus about how good the movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I feel like the much more valuable thing for for uh, you know you us as individuals, I guess, is people who identify with our attitudes to figure out how much they would enjoy a movie, and that's much more well served by you rating them how you feel about them, right? Like people okay, are like yeah, that's fair. You know, I like the way Buddy thinks. I, I'm, you know, I'm a big DC Universe stan, and Aquaman's my favorite hero, right? Buddy, who's also a big Aquaman fan, loves it. That means I will love it. That's more valuable than him being like, oh, well, you know, from, like, an objective standard, right? Like, that's that's that, that you can go to, like, I don't know, anywhere to get it. And if they want it from you, you can, like, write a blurb about it, right? Like, I feel like those types of analyses are better 
um, better served. Yeah, because like, it's about it's about anyway. taste, right? Yeah, it's it's about like matching taste yeah. in a way. Like, exactly. I'm somebody that cares a lot about mythics. Myth, like mythic plot structure and stakes and so like if you are also somebody that like responds well to that hypothetically um uh yeah plus i guess there's like a bio there's something else i was thinking about it's like you know kind of explaining a little bit about like that review style in a bio to be like look guys i'm rating my these stars are because i like a movie some movies i like i think are bad those are guilty pleasures i'm still rating them five tar- stars venom is a five-star movie you know like <laughs> suck a dick yeah, kind of no, thing like, i don't know this this is kind of heavy to drop at the end of the podcast but i have for a long time um thought that, like, the primary measure of a movie should be how much, and, it, like, the kind of, in, in terms of, like, the, the, the purposes of movies is to entertain people in some way, right? Like, mm. e- even if that's, like, scratching your kind of academic itch in a way. Um, and so a movie that entertains you is always going to be better than a movie that doesn't, and that there's a lot of, high, you know, a lot of highfalutinous that, 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 that uh, kind of gets away from that. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of been my role on this podcast is kind of be like a Vox Populi, Populi type um, uh, perspective, whereas you, you kind of are like the more academic perspective. And I think that that's like a thing that people want. This is why you get like Rotten Tomato scores that are – the audience scores are wildly divergent from the, the critic scores because you're looking at different yeah. things. Um, uh, and uh, people are different, right? Like people be, – you know, I don't like – like, you know. As we've talked about, I, I don't like plain stories. I like weird, convoluted stories, which is why I didn't like Aquaman as much as you did. Um, and so I, I think that, I think that, like I said, that's the better service to, to be like, you know me because you've presumably listened to all 170 episodes of this podcast. Um, and so if I like, if you like my taste and you like me, then you should take my opinion into account. If you think I'm yeah. totally wrong about everything. Uh, then you should ignore my recommendations, or even take it as anti recommendations, right? Like, yeah, I also I also appreciate that it allows me an opportunity to kind of like defend myself against any accusations of uh, like this happened the other day when I was raiding um, because people were shitting on Anthem, and I was like, "Yo, dude, I've been fucking having a great time on Anthem," and somebody was like, "Yeah, but you also like Batman versus Superman, so I can't really trust you or whatever." Um, and as I've been going through. Letterbox and like rating, you know, then like thinking about things and being like, oh yeah, fucking like Whiplash, what a great movie, you know what I mean? It's helped me feel like, oh, maybe I'm not just like a contrarian piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, no, you know, we, uh, we, we all have our know, tastes. Armand White. Yeah. Uh, we, we all have our tastes, and, you know, as they say, there's no accounting for taste. Um, yeah, the hardest part was it asks you for your four favorite movies right up front. And I was just like, four? Four favorite movies? What are two, three, and four on that list? And uh, and it took me a while to answer. I eventually uh, answered I assume by you were putting... stymied because you couldn't answer Batman vs. Superman five times? If Batman vs. Superman isn't on there, because I think, honestly, I'd li- I, like... Like, Watchmen, the ultimate cut of Watchmen is better and i like it better even if i don't think about it or talk about it as, as much. much like god that yeah like that movie and i also wanted a little bit of breadth because it's like well do i put fucking like you know watchman black panther spider-man 2 you know like or whatever right like star no. wars episode 4 star I can't wars even episode actually... 5 star yeah wars yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly 
And so, uh, I can't even actually remember what... Oh, I put Sicario. Uh, so I put Seven Samurai, because obviously, yeah. Sicario, Watchmen the Ultimate Cut, and Kung Fu Panda. Because, um, of course, you put fucking Kung Fu Panda. I forgot about that. Because Kung Fu... Yeah, 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 dude, Kung Fu Panda is the best. I actually... So I just watched uh, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Do you, have you, do you have any connection to the How to Train Your Dragon movies? I saw the end of the first one on TV once. God, Mango, you're really missing out. Okay, I'll, I'll, How to Train Your Dragon is so good. Not, I don't think it's quite as good as Kung Fu Panda, but it is very, very, very close. Also, I feel a, a very real connection with the main, uh, with the main voice actor Jay Barukel because he also loves Batman vs Superman and talks about it all the time in the press. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, the How to Train Your Dragon three, which is How to Train Your Dragon, like the Hidden World, uh, I was good and fine and satisfying but it like really came out of nowhere and it did something that i haven't seen in so fucking long which was definitively end a story no sequel hook no nothing just like listen we put this to like we we solved the problem and we put it to bed and then we flash forward to our characters as adults and they have kids and they have a nice happy peaceful life that's it end of story sort of thing and i and i kind of like have forgotten how satisfying it is to just watch a story that ends you know what i mean because every fucking every story has like sequel hooks and post-credit scenes and spin-offs and stuff like that and as much as i love all of that kind of stuff it was very refreshing to see a movie that was like yep we're done it's over yeah um so again i don't want to push this out too long but something something i've been thinking about kind of in, in terms of this stuff that you've been talking about is um is how much movies that I really liked in the past, like how much, like how much they hold up in the presence. Like, what was the last time you saw Seven Samurai? Man, a couple of years ago when we did the podcast for it, I guess. So two years ago, oh, Magnificent for, Seven? for 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 Magnificent Seven. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, like, do you think there's any chance that, like, if you watched it right now, that you wouldn't be as enthusiastic about it? Maybe. I mean, some some of my favorite movies are not necessarily watchable movies. Um, and some of my and some of my most watchable movies are not my favorite. Like Infinity War is a very watchable movie for me on just like an action level. Um, and and, you know, like something to put on in the background, you know, like I'm playing Hearts of Iron. It's like, oh, yeah, you sure I'll put on fucking Infinity War and look over every once in a while. Um but, uh, yeah, like, and this is kind of the thing with, like, Watchmen. Like, I don't think about the Watchmen ultimate cut, and I don't think about that movie as much as I think about Batman vs. Superman. But I love it, and I think it's really good. And uh, and so part of it is a little, a little bit of, like, really, good, like, fine-tuning that line of taste. I, I've talked about this as, like, the critical instrument or, like, that analytical instrument that, like, we hone as we think about things, you know, critically, um, uh... And it is it is like a tough thing to do. I it, like part of the thing with Seven Samurai is that like Seven Samurai is not even really a good movie anymore by my own sort of like, you know, like Kung Fu Panda is better than Star Wars because we're always standing on the shoulders of giants. Right. Like, look, Seven Samurai is great and I love it because it is the er movie that like that created the kinds of movies that I love today. Right. Like ensemble films about people coming together like but if seven samurai came out today we would all be like what an awful p 
piece of shit garbage movie, right? Just like on a technical level, it's in black and white. It's not shot in like the super clearest way. It's, you know, even if the last hour of the movie is a long drawn out battle. Yeah, like, the last hour of the movie is really, like, long and drawn out. The music isn't, like, necessarily great. Like, we get better at making movies over time, and so I can't even make a credible claim to myself that my favorite movie is good anymore <laughs> do you do you know what i mean and sometimes like that is a tough thing to to like that you know like if there's any reason why i feel like i have to on letterbox rate my favorites is because if i were to be rating on quality i would be rating a lot of stuff that came out recently well and a lot of stuff that came out like a lot of the classics not so well because even if i think transformers is a worse movie than star wars episode 8 like boy i feel like if transformers had come out in 1977 people would be like this movie is amazing do you know what i mean yeah and i can't i can't untangle that that feeling of it and maybe i and maybe i just do what everybody else does and i kind of factor in that like iconic nature and like kind of put a like a little asterisk next to every single review by saying for its time or whatever um but i don't know how to you know that's that's like a tough thing to to really parse out yeah i i I think i think you you throw a little bit of the baby out with the better path water there just because like you know the first time i watched seven samurai was for that for the viewing of magnificent seven and i can tell you that seven samurai was still good to watch you know it was a little bit long on the tooth but like the 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 the, the symbology was good um mm-hmm. and the, the movie came together well and it was much better than say the original magnificent seven which was just like clearly a hack copy of of yeah. seven samurai and it was better than like you know, the long lineage of weird spin-off versions like Battle Among the Stars, which is like a weird fucking trip, or Hawk the Slayer. Um, yeah, and, and I do, and, and to a certain extent, I, I think that Transformers thing is actually like the greatest um, uh, reference. Because like, there are some things that I do think are timeless. Like, I think good pacing is timeless. Um, and Seven Samurai has very good pacing, I would say, for throughout most of the movie. Same thing with Star Wars Episode Seven. Very good pacing throughout the movie. Um, we have gotten better at telling stories like Star Wars because, like, we have gotten better about, about telling, um, you know, like, com- more complex character narratives, for instance. We want more out of our bad guys. I think if we came out with a Darth Vader today, like, w- the Darth Vader today needs a better motivation, essentially, um, than what he had in Episode Four. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff in episode four as it stands that i think is relatively timeless right the small scale dialogue stuff like the interaction between those characters i think is is great and will always kind of like stand the test of time for instance um and i think this is partially why some kind of character dramas can get away with it uh like i talked about 12 angry men on the podcast however long ago 12 angry men kind of gets away with it on this perspective too because it is a lot of just like pacing and dialogue um and those things are more immune to the ravages of time than you know some of the other things things you know special effects and visual stuff editing cinematography that stuff is all susceptible to this but i also think there are some things on a narratological level that can like take these hits and you know demanding that our villains be more complex is one of those things right yeah i i will also point out that uh, seven samurai gets like uh, a mask on the acting for english viewing audiences because it's harder to tell if someone's acting poorly in a foreign language um, yeah, that is definitely yeah, it's definitely um, true. Part of the reason I brought this up just to kind of close this out is um, 
I know for myself, part of the hard thing that I have with movies I really like is I really like twists. I like complex plots that go in unexpected ways. But as soon as you've seen it once, you know, that's ruined, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. Like um, one of my favorite movies um, from the first time I watched it was Lucky Number 11 because um, there's uh, – like I kind of like took it out of the library and knew nothing about it. And so there's a, there's a big twist in it. And I just like – it totally took me by surprise and I fucking loved it. Um, and – I go back and watch that movie every once in a while, but, like, I can't ever recapture that magic because so much of my enjoyment of that movie was in the unexpected twist, and it can never happen that way again. Uh, and so that, that's just why I've been uh, thinking about that lately, is is the things that kind of have those kind of uh, plot hooks in them. Um, kind of like uh, with, with Blade Runner, uh, the, the new Blade Runner. I have... Uh, oh, Blade Runner 2049? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I feel that. But, yeah, um... We're way over. Maybe that's something we can we can talk about this more on another cast. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we we. Uh, sorry, I just wanted to. It was it was it was on my mind. But uh, we're way over time. We should uh we we should wrap this up. Um, if you'd like to to email us about uh, your favorite movies or uh, what you think about looter shooters or any of the other things that we've talked about on this podcast, you can email us at some games at gmail dot com or podcast at some games dot com. You can follow us on. Twitch.tv slash Play Games. You can uh, follow us on SoundCloud, straight and review us. Um, you can follow us on YouTube. I will upload the last five or six episodes soon, I promise. Uh, my apologies to our YouTube viewing audience. Um, but uh, I think that's everything we have time for. Buddy, do you have anything else you're looking to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>